David Stewart said, if you're born once, you die twice. But if you're born twice, you'd only die once. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity and don't let the name fool you. We are very religious. But it's this world and this crazy country we're living in that is becoming increasingly non-religious. So um, that's where we get the name from. Um, but we're going to do what we always do. Do our best to sort of walk through the news of the week. Um, help Christians live a life that's pleasing to God or at least figure out how to digest some of the insanity that we're seeing in the world. And then we um, are going to try to touch on a more uplifting Bible topic. So. Today, we're going to be on part three, really, of our road to salvation, if you want to call it that. Um, part three of five parts in the road to salvation, and then we're going to have 10 parts in our assurance of salvation. And if you want to get a jump start on those, you can go find uh, all of these on our website, and you'll find links to that down in the show notes. You can go check that out. But that's what we're going to be talking about after... That's going to be the back half of the show before or after we get to the news and all of that um, horrific, god-awful stuff that we have to talk about. <laughs> but before we get to all of that, is there anything you would like to say? Yeah, and I forgot to last week uh, bring up my friend Olga from our church in New Mexico. Her and her daughter started um, a book series and... Um, so my friend's name is Olga and her daughter's Tasha. And I thought it was a really cute title. Is it backwards on here? Or it's right. Okay. I thought that was cute because it's like close friends, but close friends. Oh, you want to do one of them? <laughs> Thanks. Here, let me open this one up. This was her first one. Um, go into the farm. So the clothes are like, you know, they're alive and sorry, I need to hold it right here. And so they're kind of learning how to, um, how to be godly pretty much. So there's a good moral to the story in these children's books. And her daughter did the illustrations and I thought they were really, really good in there. And our younger daughter, um, probably for younger kids, our daughter is nine so she really likes them. And I'm just going to show a couple more illustrations here. Yeah, those are cute. So they go to the farm in the first one. So all the farm animals are kind of being um, arrogant and prideful, each animal they see. And so the outfit of the day that was chosen, you know, to, to be worn to go to the farm is witnessing all these animals with their things they're proud about so then the outfit you know at the end of the day goes back home and and then it starts acting prideful and so the other clothes the clothes friends correct the the bad behavior and so there's scripture in there to Don't go those along clothes, no they're not supposed to be judgmental <laughs> i thought it. it was just really good yeah so this one is about being prideful and the other one is about stretching the truth. So even stretching the truth is still a lie. And there's scripture in there for that one too. So it's a good good book, really cute illustrations. And um, 
godly teaching in there. So we just wanted to um, just let everybody know you can get them. Uh, I think Barnes and Noble, she said, and you can order on Amazon and you can put the link. We found the link to it. So yeah, we'll have links down in the show notes for those to Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And we'd encourage you just to go pick them up. Olga and Frank are two um, godly men and women, yeah. um, friends of ours from our time in New Mexico. And uh, I'm sure it'd be a blessing to them. And it'd be a nice story for you guys to read. And I'm sure they're probably going to have more coming out. This yeah, is a series. They do. Um, so yeah, go check those out. And uh, I'm sure Olga and Frank would be very please that you did so yeah and her daughter yeah. is the illustrator yeah they're actually pretty good Tasha. illustrations for a young girl <laughs> that's uh pretty good so yeah go check those out um do you have any other prayer requests anything of that sort we pray that you pick these books up <laughs> um i didn't have anything in mind but that doesn't mean there isn't any prayer requests um yeah just pray for us generally we always need the prayer. Um, but then also, yeah, we'll also have, you know, other links as well. As you guys know, um, you can help support the show. If you buy through the Amazon link for these books, those are affiliate links for us. You know, we'll get a small little commission off of those. So because I haven't figured out a way to cancel my Amazon affiliate yet, it's still there. Um, so if you want to go to Barnes and Noble and avoid giving your money to, uh, proud baby murderers over at Amazon, please do that. Um, <laughs> you can support us other ways. You can see links on the show or, uh, up on the screen, some, uh, links down in the show notes. If you want to try to support the show. And we also have, um, the t-shirts. There were some issues with the website as far as purchasing the t-shirts that's fixed now. So see, I'm wearing my John 14, six. Um, truthless times need timeless truths. Um, you can go check those out. We got more shirts coming here pretty soon, probably a little reformer series coming up mm -hmm. pretty soon. And, uh, you can go check those out, support the show that way. We would be very appreciative. All right. So let's get our plugs out of the way here. Uh, Chris, uh, Cardinal contingency solutions. You guys know we love Cardinal. We think you would love Cardinal as well. If you would just only give them a chance. Um, they're not just the best in the world at messaging, counter messaging, counter exploitation. They're also a great com uh, company if you just want to have an adventure. Um, they're getting ready for their sort of uh, adventure um, outings, if you will. These guys are trained survival experts. This is a large part of what they do. They take the best military members in the world out in the field and put them through the ringer. <laughs> and uh, I can speak from experience. They make it sort of fun, but very painful. Um, they will make it more fun than painful for you guys, <laughs> but it will still be a learning experience because um, that's what they do. So go give Cardinal a call. They can help you in a myriad of ways, and they're good dudes. Um, also, we are proud members of the Christian Podcast Community. You know that. So you can go check out Christian Podcast Community on, there we are right there, um, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeart, you know, whatever you listen to podcasts on, you can go check out Christian Podcast Community there, subscribe to their one feed, and you'll get about 60 um, good Christian podcasts. You know, you won't just be inundated with the, you know, NPR show and whatever, you know, 
the mainstream podcasting platforms want to shove in your face that probably isn't worth your time listening to. Um, these are good godly men and women that have good godly things to talk about. And uh, we encourage you to go check out the Christian podcast community um, and give them a review. Follow them if you're there. They'd appreciate that. A lot of those shows are probably on YouTube as well. If you're watching mm -hmm. us instead of listening to us, you can see which ones. I know Apologetics Live um, with Andrew Rappaport is on there. Obviously, we're on there because you're probably watching us on YouTube right now if you're hearing this. So um, that is that. All right. Do you have any last things? Nope. Go ahead, babe. Here we go. <laughs> you guys know what time it is. It's time to gird up your loins, steal up your soul, prepare yourself as we get ready to take our trek through the valley of the shadow of death. Take a look at the news of the week. And we're going to start off with a bit of a good news story here. So, um, do you want to mm. read? Well, well, this was a follow-up to a story that we had last week. Yeah. So, um, Yeshiva University, if you remember, um, they're the Jewish university in New York that's been taken to court by an LGBTQ um, club that's trying to form on their campus, really against the school's religious beliefs. And we, truthfully, were not terribly optimistic about Yeshiva University. We just assumed, like the Southern Baptist Convention, like Hillsong, like BYU, they were just going to cave, right, immediately. Um, but we did have a brother that listens to the show point out that Yeshiva is actually a more conservative and observant sort of Jewish um, group or school there. Um, and that could be why they really took the excellent stand that they did. So this story here comes from the Jerusalem Post. Do you want to read that headline? Yeshiva University halts student clubs in dispute over LGBT group. Yep. And then just read that first paragraph here. Yeshiva University ordered by a judge to formally recognize an LGBT student group, even as the Jewish school in New York City argues that doing so would violate its religious values. On Friday announced that it has halted the activities of all its undergraduate student clubs as it plans its next steps. Yep. And then, you know, in response to that, of course, the LGBTQ club, you know, is somehow financed and backed by, a you know, nationwide uh, <laughs> LGBTQ law firm or whatever called the Pride Alliance. And they had an announcement. And uh, do you want to read this announcement here? The, the YU administration's announcement today uh announced today that it will cancel all student club activities rather than accept one LGBTQ peer-supported group on campus is a throwback to 50 years ago when the city of Jackson, Mississippi closed all public swimming pools rather than comply with court orders to desegregate, tweeted the plaintiff's team in response. Yep. And this, of course, is a completely idiotic statement. Mm -hmm. um, but what would you expect, right? So these lawyers... And the LGBTQ club are essentially making the claim that your religious freedom is irrelevant the moment that it comes into conflict with, or conflict with their uh, gender identity. Mm -hmm. So basically doing what God commands and rejecting sexual immorality, you know, standing against sin, 
And then going against God's commands, you know, not seeing everyone created as equal or created in the image of God um, because of their skin color, basically giving into sin. So going against sin and giving into sin are the same in the lawyer's eyes. It's kind of the argument they're making, which is weird. Um, And the thing is, the LGBTQ club could have picked any other school, (laughs) right? Any other school to go to, but they wanted to attend a traditional as that guy pointed out, conservative mm-hmm. Jewish school. They knew what they were um, doing. A university that doesn't support their homosexual transgender lifestyle. And it's, you know, somehow all of that equals it's the university's fault. Right? Sure, the Jewish faith has been in existence since really the dawn of time <laughs> with Adam, right? Um, and these college kids just, you know, figured out a new gender identity last week when they were scrolling through Twitter. But somehow right. Yeshiva needs to trash the Torah and, you know, 8,000 years of tradition because of what they just discovered last week is essentially the lawyer's claim. I know. That make That's any sense ridiculous. to you? Of course, it doesn't make sense oh, to you. Just And this whole idea, like why these groups start like having a safe space for people who love sin that's what it is and they fellowship over it so it's ridiculous and i'm just thinking like what kinds of acts and beliefs need safe spaces so imagine people trying to implement this in moses day i know i've been reading um you know exodus and i'm just thinking about the israelites like if they I don't know. I just can't imagine it. Like they're on a a Jewish campus. So if, if they were trying to implement this in Moses' day, like a safe space for those who identify as unrepentant sinners, they would be stoned. Not that we do that today, but it's sinful. It's wrong. And it's just ridiculous for this to be happening at all anywhere, but more so at a religious campus. And you can see that this is Satan's infiltration. It's coming in disguised as a sheep who's, who's just wanting to be accepted and loved. And this is happening. This is happening in most churches um, today too. Churches make churches are making safe spaces really for unbelievers to attend church in hopes that they'll finally be converted after months or years of rejecting the gospel week after week, you know, yeah, the so, church is a safe space for sinners. Just come and yeah, be yourself, be comfortable. Yeah, we, if, remember what was it? Hope we want you to have comfort. fun. Yeah, and that's okay. if the gospel's <laughs> actually being preached at these places. Because I think if it was, they'd be offended and they wouldn't want to come back. I don't understand it, but all the while while they're allowing people unbelievers to come into church in hopes that they'll eventually believe the gospel. All the while, they are dragging others in the church into sin with them because other people in the church are getting to know them, be friends with them. And who knows if other new believers come into the church, don't know that these people going are unbelievers and they assume they're believers because they're attending, they're going to drag them down all for the sake of love. The church is doing this for unbelievers, right? The sake of love more for the unbeliever than, yes, we're to love all people, but you need to protect the flock. The pastor does, the body of Christ protects 
one another. So it's all like they say, it's all for love. But I think, no, it's all because of being ashamed of the gospel. Really, if someone who calls themselves a brother in the faith is is living in unrepentant sin, we are told in the New Testament to remove them from fellowship, but admonish them as a brother still. You don't just judge them and say, you're going to hell. You know, you want them to come back, but they are not to fellowship um, and sing praises, sing songs with the body of Christ together if they're in unrepentant sin. So why would we allow an unbeliever to stay in fellowship then? It's just a shame. It's just and it's so twisted. I know I got it. I'm getting off track saying that, but I, it's just, I see this safe space thing. So it made me take it into no, and the it church. Is, and they even tried to make that point like, oh, they'd rather do this and just have one. All we want is one LGBTQ club as if anything of our recent history would tell us they're just going to stop at one. We've already talked stop. about it. You know, that's not the case, but they should put a stop to that. It should be like, yeah, we're going to close the school down before we allow one person to come in here and solely that, because again, this is a Jewish university. It would be the same if it was a Christian university. It should mm-hmm. be. It should be. This is sullying the name of our God. Yeah. Who we have devoted our lives to, who we've, you know, claimed that we would die for. Yes, we will put a stop to it, lest one group of sinners is given a safe space here. We don't allow any sin a safe space on this campus. That should be um, the stance. So I'm, mm-hmm. yeah, it should be. And look, I think this is intentional, as we talked about last week. And I think just like when we talked about two weeks ago with BYU, you know, where they were kind of making the push um, to call Mormons, or really, as far as the left is concerned, Christians, because they would probably consider Mormons just Christians, racist, right? They were trying Mm -hmm. to do that two weeks ago. And it worked. Um, If you guys are uh, sports fans at all, you may be aware of this. Um, but at last weekend's BYU Oregon football game, um, the student section of Oregon, which is a far left university in a far left state, um, they were chanting F the Mormons, um, out loud. So, you know, guard your ears. I'll try to bleep some of this out in post. Um, but let me see if I can pull this up. So you're not just taking my word for it. Like, that's crazy. So, you know, this is what Rachel Richardson was trying to do, right? When she did this to BYU two weeks ago, made up a fake racist hoax against BYU, basically calling Christians racist. And of course, because BYU didn't have the guts, apparently, that Yeshiva has, they just went and capitulated, apologized, said they were sorry, didn't stand up for their student body at all. Um... But now, you know, Mormons are the enemy of the racist left. As you can see from this football game, F the Mormons is the cry, right? And I think if Yeshiva wins, um, this is what it's going to look like, uh, I think. You know, and it looks like they may win, ultimately, maybe not in New York, but if it gets to the Supreme Court. Um, There was another story here uh, by... I think the school's paper or whatever, Yeshiva University, but they kind of make the case that it looks positive for them if this gets to the Supreme Court. Um, but I think this will be the same thing that sort of happens to the Jews um, or the Jewish folks in that region, right? 
Rachel Richardson and Duke makes up a face ra- a fake racist hoax. It gets proven f- fake. The racist left doesn't care. It's F the Mormons. So now this LGBTQ club comes into a traditional Jewish university. The Jewish university doesn't stand for it and kicks them out. And if they win, I think you're going to see this sort of the bigoted left is going to attack the Jewish university for being bigoted, right? Because the satanic left is always guilty of whatever they're accusing you of. Just like BYU, the racist accused them of being racist only to have their own racism found out. society is so twisted. Everything's like, what's truth for you? You know, that's true for you. Okay, then leave the Jewish university alone. That's their truth. Respect it. No, it only works. It's a one-way street. It never works the other way. But I could see, you know, these sort of things coming about depending on how this court case works out. Which, again, this is a Jewish, not yeshiva, if they're conservative, traditional Jews, but... Jews at large, 77% voted for Joe Biden in 2020, and yet somehow they're going to be labeled as bigoted. They hate the LGBTQ community, all this sort of stuff. It'll be leveled at them. So, And we know the world never tends to look so kindly on the Jews. Um, it's weird the way that works. I think any religion that has moral standards is going to be attacked. I don't think this is just Christianity. I think it's it's the Mormons because, you know, they they call out sin the same Christians do, Jews. So I think that's the thing. It's any religion that is going to point out sin or call people to live righteously. Oh, right. I mean, if you want to be a Buddhist all you want, nobody really cares. Go meditate in a right. closet. It makes no difference. Um, but yeah, when you actually... And then again, with the Mormon thing, you attach being white to it, which is what they're trying to do. Make Christianity a white man's religion. Then they can attack it. They see Mormonism as that too? Oh, I mean, Mormonism's got to be 97, 98% white, I would imagine. I mean, it's almost entirely a white university (laughs) or white religion. So, um, but I think that's why, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago, why I think they attacked BYU purposefully. Because that's sort of the epitome of white Christian, you know, religion mm-hmm. in this country. So yeah, they want to attack sense. Christianity. And I think the easiest way for them to do that is through racism. But I think, yeah, here you go. Um, LGBTQ activists trying to weasel their way in to a traditional Jewish university. And all of that to say, I love what Yeshiva did here. Um, yeah. You know, because rather than sully the reputation of the school and allow sin, even a smidgen of a safe haven. They closed all the clubs, you know, and again, we were not too high on Yeshiva. We just assumed they would cave, but they didn't. And I think this is a brilliant move. Um, And if I was Yeshiva, (laughs) if I was in charge, I would highlight to the students that it's this LGBTQ club's fault that their clubs are being canceled. I would let the rest of the student body know that this sort of group of malicious actors that are trying to come into our school against our belief system these LGBTQ activists, the ones that are working to bring shame on the name of God, like this is the reason you don't get to go to your club anymore. I would, I mean, have a, uh, a student like all call. Hey man, we are a, a Bible and Old Testament believing group of students here. Like mm-hmm. it is clear in the Old Testament that this is a sin against God and we will not allow it to stand here. So them trying to bring this sin in, even taking us to court, 
to try to force us. This is why I would make that point very clear. Because if they don't, this Pride Alliance is going to be making that same argument against them. And they just did that, right? Ah, this Yeshiva University is the same as the racist in Jackson, Mississippi, trying to keep us out of the pool. Instead of being like, yeah, we're really trying to make them, you know, force them to accept something against their religion, you know, their religious freedom we're trying to trash so they can accept our, you know, lifestyle that we just developed last week. Um, so again, huge. Uh, I think it's awesome. I think this is a lesson that all colleges that claim a religious foundation should use if it comes to this. And it will come to this. I have no doubt. Um, and ho- hopefully, ultimately, Yeshiva wins in the courts. That would be awesome to see. Um, but just a big old kudos to Yeshiva for having some guts here. And then just one last follow-up on this story from that uh, post that they had on the university site. They make note in here that uh, Yeshiva and the Pride Alliance group, um, the ones who represent the LGBTQ club, they've agreed on a stay until this matter gets settled in the court. So essentially, the group has okayed having the LGBTQ club um, basically banned until it gets settled in the courts. So uh, again, great win for Yeshiva there. I hope that they don't back down. um, And uh, I hope that the courts stand for religious freedom. I think that is very important. So pretty good news there. Um, Mm -hmm. That's about the last bit of good news that we have. Proud of what happened is very rare. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was, uh, I was happy um, when that was brought to our attention. So well done, Yeshiva. Please set the standard for the rest of us. Um, maybe Hillsong could see what Yeshiva's doing and grow a spine. Uh, maybe BYU could. Who knows? Anywho, um, this next story here uh, comes from the Christian Post. And uh, do you want to just read that headline? George Barna says, most Americans blend beliefs together as customized worldview, nation in crisis. That is an understatement. Um, yeah, and do you want to just, we pulled a couple of paragraphs out of here. If you want to just read them, I'll try to throw them up on the screen here so you guys okay. can see them. Prominent even evangelical pollster George Barna says that most Americans blend their beliefs to create a customized worldview that is far from biblical as the country is in a spiritual crisis. Barna, who also serves as an FRC senior fellow, what is FRC? Um, I looked it up before. Oh, I the Family Research Council. That's right. Okay. So he serves as a Family Research Council senior fellow, told these gathered that he believes one of the brilliant strategies of the evil one is luring people into believing that they can combine and adopt as many worldviews as they want. Barna cited research conducted by the Cultural Research Center showing that there are seven major worldviews that Americans are most influenced by. Biblical theism, Eastern mysticism, Marxism, moralistic therapeutic deism, nihilism, postmodernism, and secular humanism. The most common worldview isn't any of the eight main adopted ones, according to Barna, who noted that the primary worldview dominating America is syncretism 
or varying combinations of all eight worldviews into one belief system. Yeah, that's a lot to get to, but this is a pretty dense article here. Um, if you want to read through it, and like always, all of our articles will be linked down in the show notes. But like what he's saying here, I think is just it's the very definition of the wide road. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I think he's right, of course. Um, for mm. anybody that's been paying attention to this sort of sort of stuff, I think you would agree that he's right. And we discussed this a few months ago. Um, there was a study, I believe, that Barna put out, and he highlights it in this article again that they found only six percent of americans hold a biblical worldview which should tell you basically that only six percent of the nation is christian even though study after study comes out and says oh it's 60 to 70 percent christian six percent have a biblical worldview um Mm. and if you don't have a biblical worldview it's hard to imagine that you're truthfully a christian um because a worldview is important. And Barna even makes note of that in here. He says, let me see if I can find it. Does that it. mean just for, I guess I just need to clarify, could that be like a biblical worldview, like a Christian biblical worldview or a Mormon biblical worldview? Like, no, is it it's divided? it's a traditional among... biblical worldview, like okay. a Christian Bible worldview. Okay, I just wanted to double check with that. So I don't think that they, I'm not sure if they would classify Mormons in their Um, but they would probably classify Catholics if they held to a biblical worldview in there. Um, you know, I don't know about like Jehovah's witness or, uh, you know, Mormons or anything like that. I'm not sure how they would classify those guys, but either way, 6%. (laughs) So you can classify whoever you want. That's a pretty low number, but I think they're talking traditional Christian Bible. Um, so Barna goes on to saying there about biblical worldview. He says, your worldview is the filter that you use to see and understand and experience and respond to the world around you. Because your worldview enables you to make sense of the world, you need a worldview just to get through every day. Mm-hmm. And he goes on, he says, in fact, every single decision that you make, and you make hundreds of them, if not thousands of decisions every single day, every one of those flows through your worldview. The choices that you make are a result of what you believe as described by your worldview. So again, if you're making decisions throughout the day and the Bible isn't the filter you're using, but instead it's like some sort of Eastern mysticism mixed with Marxism and secular humanism, that's not Christianity. Like, Mm -hmm. in fact, those worldviews are at odds with Christianity. Any of those worldviews that are like, don't judge someone they like it because then nobody can judge them they like to boast about i don't judge i don't judge makes them feel comfortable yeah there's nothing more common you'll hear from people who claim to be christian than i don't judge people you know i i let you know i live my life i try not to judge others and then they don't believe in iron sharpening iron yeah it's just insane but those are all worldviews that go against the christian worldview So if you're living and you're mixing those beliefs in with your supposed Christian worldview, you're not living a Christian, I would assume, life. Because if your worldview is mixed and mingled, then you're making those decisions based on this mixed up, mingled, you know, mashup of worldviews. You're probably not making strictly biblical and Christian decisions in your day-to-day life. Um, So I think it's definitely dangerous, but I definitely think he's right about that. 
Yeah. And just what are these decisions that um, these self-professing Christians are making based on their worldview? You know, like one of them, you know, love is love and sex before marriage and that whole mindset, like God understands my heart and, and my intention. So it's okay. in in my specific situation, and they don't even seem to really know the God who say, who they say saved them. They don't know him. And I just, I just advise all professing Christians. If you call yourself a Christian, read first John, it, it is a test uh, for yourself to see if you are truly in the faith. I, it's short. It's really easy to understand. It's very plain. I just, yeah, anybody, a new Christian, baby Christian can read it and understand it. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like John knew people might be confused about what it meant. And Didn't took- Pastor say that that originally, like First John... In those books, actually, would come before Romans. Like I don't know, first. Well, they John were did. written first, maybe. I don't think first the John order, was maybe not first John, but some of the yeah, more I, instructional I think, how yeah. to walk would actually come before. But Romans. I mean, it didn't matter really where you put them in the I Bible. Just if that you look at the sense. studies, yeah. most people don't read their Bible anyway. Like a anyway, new Christian but... would get like like a how-to, what am I supposed to do next? Would be like read those smaller New Testament books before you would dive into like you know deeper theology. Hebrews will Hebrews is later on too, but Romans and yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, and again, I mean there's so many reasons that go into why this has become a thing. And I don't think we can let churches off the hook um, because most churches, I mean, again, we've gone to church for 35 years up until we kind of found a church that really just preached the Bible week in, week out. Most of it was just sermons on topics that mingled the Bible into a topic. So if you're not having pastors that are just opening the word up, every book, every verse, just explaining it to you, then mm-hmm. you're never really getting it. Because again, people don't read the Bible on their own by and large. And mm-hmm. then if people don't even go to church, they just listen to things that they like, then that's all yeah. mixed up. And then you get like, you know, the Beth Moores of the world and Joel Osteen mixed in because it makes you feel good. And before mm-hmm. you know it, like you're letting your favorite, you know, progressive politician tell you what love means. And now you're, you know, down right. this progressive Christianity. It's it's yeah. crazy. It's so. so important to be reading the Bible for yourself. Like even Kobe was reading, he was telling me he was reading Jeremiah today. And I can't remember what exactly he said, but it was something Jesus had said in the gospels. And he asked me, he's like, didn't, didn't Jesus say this? I was like, yeah, pretty much most things Jesus said, he's quoting the old Testament scripture. And I just love that he made that connection. I'm like, that made me so happy. I'm like, he pays attention. He recognized something from the Old Testament and someone could take that Old Testament scripture, if I remember what it was, and they can make it about themselves because that's what a lot of these mega churches do. Something from the Old Testament that they don't even realize it's about Jesus. It isn't about them. It's not about your life improving and making up promises in your mind. Like, no, the promise has always been about Christ. (laughs) It's just, just read your Bible. It is so cool. Like just seeing how he was like, 
wow, you know, he was like happy to see a connection. Yeah, no, you got to be in the Bible. And that's a big problem in our country. Um, and one last bit here from Barna. Um, and again, this article is packed with information and I encourage you to go read it. But he says, uh, Barna called syncretism, syncretism one of the brilliant strategies of the evil one. Because when you have a nation of 255 million adults and another 80 million children who are choosing bits and pieces from many different worldviews, and they come up with their own personalized, customized way of thinking and living, that's much more difficult to combat because every person, in essence, requires a different strategy. And I couldn't agree with this more. Because um, this is something me and Nikki have talked about personally for a while. Like, it's difficult to even share the gospel and get anywhere because everybody has enough bits of information to think that they kind of know it all. Um, but it's so mixed, again, with a hundred other ideas and worldviews that it's challenging to really make any ground up um, because you bring up something about Christianity. Well, yeah, I know a little bit about Christianity, and they think that they kind of, it's just, it's very convoluted. It's not like, I don't know, maybe in Paul's day and stuff, like you're arguing with a Jew. You have a very clear delineation yeah. of the law um, There's not a lot mixed in. Yeah. But now it's like you've got the entire world's worldview dumped into somebody's head. And this is a big problem when you're trying. And this is why being a debater or, you know, like an apologist takes a real skill set because the people that you're arguing with are going in every different direction with an argument. And you're trying to stay focused on scripture, mm -hmm. but they're taking it. Every question is off in a different direction, coming from a different worldview and a different like, Have you considered mindset. this or this or this or this? Like, so it's not like you're just arguing <laughs> my Christian faith versus your, you know, whatever, your even atheism. I mean, because even that's so mingled with religious worldviews mm -hmm. and political influences and all these. So you're trying to argue from a political aspect and then you're bringing it back to a worldly and then they mix in some Eastern mysticism and then and you're like your head spinning by the time you're done with it and you really don't ever get anywhere. So it's really challenging. And it is, I wanted to talk to a lady at the store. I don't know. She, she was wearing a mask. She probably didn't want to have a conversation, but she was wearing a shirt that said, I'm not that Christian. Like that was in like a different color. So it stood out. I was like, what does that mean? And I, I went back down the aisle and asked her, I was like, Hey, I was like, I'm a Christian. I'm assuming you are. But I was like, what does your shirt mean? And she took off her mask to talk to me. And she's like, that just means I'm not pointing to everybody else's sin and, and telling them they can't do that and they can't do that. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I did, I just really was curious. I really wasn't interested in like, I wasn't going to like debate her right there in the grocery store. But I was like, yeah, I just kind of was like, yeah, we shouldn't be just pointing at people. I was like, we have to point at the sin and we have to point to Christ. Like you can't do one without the other. And she was like, yeah. I was like, so hopefully she got, <laughs> got a little bit. I was like, you That's can't so just point at Christ. You got to say, here's a problem. Here's a solution. Like you don't point at the solution without the problem. And you know, that doesn't make sense. But anyway, I was like, well, maybe she kind of got what I was saying there. It's just odd that she's Who walking knows? around with a shirt, like proud. I'm not, I don't care if you're a sinner. Like, <laughs> yeah, your sin does not bother me. It well, should it grieve should. you. So. Yeah.
But no, reading through this article, it made me think, and we've talked about this before, you know, I think technology is so dangerous um, for us. And I think for this very reason, because all information is not good. Um, and we get inundated with so much information from so many sources. And since none of us can really devote ourselves to understand it all, really even elementary, yet, you know, let alone fully understand all of this stuff. We just sort of collect bits and just form our own belief systems and worldviews, like Barna said. And this is where you get that sort of progressive Marxist Christianity mixed with some of that meditation for mindfulness, maybe do mm. some enneagrams to understand your personality. And hey, you know, Jesus was a good teacher, but there's a lot of good teachers. And before, you know, you know it, you're puffed up with intellectual pride and you're on the wide road to hell with all these other people that have these same mixed up beliefs. And that's largely, again, the vast majority of our nation, as Barna said, that is our national religion, basically a synchronism. Only 6% believe in a biblical it's worldview. It's not enough to even say like how many people are Christians. It's how many Christians have a biblical worldview. That's how many Christians actually believe the Bible. So it's not even about how many Christians, so-called Christians are in our nation. It's, right. What you say means nothing. And again, this isn't us matters. judging. I mean, because we don't get to say, but it's just people looking from the outside, not convinced, right? James says, like, you tell me you have faith, you know, I'll sh show you my works, right? Like, mm -hmm. put your money where your mouth is. If yeah, you say you're yeah. a Christian, what do you actually believe? Kind of right. a thing. You and, know them by their fruit. And I think that's why, you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Like, yes, you can know a lot of things, but what good does it do you at the end of the day? If your right. head is so filled with all these myriad of ideas and it puts you on the wide road to hell, great. You're really smart. <laughs> so what? Yeah. Hell's going to be filled with really smart people. Yeah, that's true. When, there's going to be yeah, people who, I mean, there's going to be people who know the Bible. I mean, the Pharisees, what they all knew, but they, yeah. they weren't I mean, when saved. Jesus came here, he knew the really smart people. He picked. Peter, <laughs> like he didn't go for those guys. You don't get faith from knowledge that no faith doesn't come by knowledge. It comes by hearing the word, believing it. Yeah. So I think for us Christians, you know, and again, it's not an easy thing to do, but I think the best thing we can do is get away from technology as much as our lives allow us to. I know a lot of our work and everything, we rely on technology, but like getting away from social media. I mean, that place is such a rat's nest of satanic activity. Get away from mm -hmm. it. The news media, get away from it. We'll inform you if there's anything worthwhile. Um, that's why we need you to pray for us. But get away from it. Like our attention needs to be on God. It needs to be on scripture. And then it needs to be on our brothers and sisters in the faith. That's where mm -hmm. our minds should be focused by and large. Um, and if that makes us outcast, good. <laughs> Count it all joy right? To look different than the rest of the world that's going to hell. Because I think for so long, Christians have wanted to look like the world so that we can mingle with the world. And somehow we think, well, if I act just like them, but I'm slightly nicer, that's going to point them to Jesus. No, it isn't. The last hundred years have shown us that doesn't do anything. It's worthless. You're 
I mean, we're losing faith in droves with that mindset. No, then you think that your righteousness is going to save them. It's, it's the gospel. It's you being bold and not being a coward, like replacing boldness with your niceness. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, there was like no scripture where Paul walked into the synagogue and sat quietly in the back corner and then, you know, shook their hands on the way out and said, Jesus loves you. I know, right? Like, no, he was bold and in their face, right? And that small group of Christians took the world by storm because they looked completely different. They sounded different. They lived different. I think but that for Christians us, we're just... have taken on that thing. They say, like the world says, like, that was unloving. It's not very loving. Like Says who? Like, the world <laughs> says spanking your kids isn't loving. So, yeah, it hurts. Correction hurts. And your tone, who cares what your tone is? Who cares? Yeah, no. we should be stern. Yes. You need people to hear you. So, um, you know, I just think it's so important that we sort of start cutting off our ties to the world here. Or you just give in, right? And you just continue to go the way of the world. Just hope that you and your family and your kids don't end up like our last news story here that we're about to get into. So um, I hope you didn't eat anything greasy uh, before you puke after listening to the story. Um, but I think this is a devastating story, but it's really important. And um, I think we're going to start hearing more and more stories like this as this sort of news comes out. So do you want to read this headline, honey? Detransitioner Chloe Cole gives powerful testimony against gender-affirming care at Capitol. Yeah, so we're going to read through this article. Um, we got quite a few um, quotes here that we pulled out. So we're just going to kind of read through these, kind of going all over the place with the article, and then we'll just highlight some of these. But really good story to talk um, or to read and talk about with your kids. You know, we talked about this last week, two weeks ago, maybe, you know, kids have to grow up fast in times of like war or um, mm -hmm. famine. And we're in a time of spiritual war and spiritual famine. Yeah. And I think it's important that we start talking to our younger and younger children about this sort of stuff, because Satan and his children have no bones about talking to your young children Again, Disney's already talked. They're grooming your kids from the time that they can turn on a Disney channel. Yeah, they get confessed that. They're openly doing that. So if you're sitting yeah. back going, well, he's only 10. It's too young to talk to him about transgenderism. Okay, well, then you're going to be behind the curve by the time Don't keep they your start kids asking ignorant. these questions. So yeah. we're just going to go through some of this article and then we'll you know come back and talk about what we feel like talking about. So do you want to read this first paragraph here? An 18-year-old detransitioned woman gave a powerful testimony on Tuesday against the gender-affirming model of care that led to her irreversible medical transition as an adolescent. Yep. You can just go on. Oh, okay. I'm just highlighting them as we go. So it's, yeah, quoting her here, I think. Um, how did we get to the point where nearly every pediatric institution in the country considers it best practice to remove the healthy breast tissue of children while administering drugs typically used to chemically castrate high-risk sex offenders. 
Cole said of the widespread acceptance of radical gender theory in medicine driving gender-affirming care, which effectively puts children in the driver's seat to dictate the terms of their own sex change. You want to say anything on that or me to keep reading? No, you just keep. I just wanted to get all the readings for that. Oh, all the, the way. reading first. Okay. Cole opened her speech with a chilling statistic. Over the past decade, there has been as high as a 4,000% increase in children being referred to so-called gender clinics across the United States. I was one of those children. A recent UCLA survey found that the number of trans-identified teens has doubled in the last five years to about 300,000 in the United States, while the rates of adults identifying as transgender have remained the same. Cole divulged the shocking circumstances of a trauma she endured that contributed to her medical transition. At 15, I went under the knife for a radical double mastectomy, the kind that breast cancer patients get. This was after I was sexually assaulted at school by a male student. I told myself to man up, but I lived my life in constant hatred of my breasts, said Cole, adding that she attempted to flatten her chest with constrictive materials through breast binding, as is recommended by the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, which led to her breasts and ribcage becoming deformed. I was afraid and couldn't wait to finally protect my body from the threat of further molestation, she said of her reasons to obtain a double mastectomy. Yeah, horrifying story um, from this little girl. So her ribcage was deformed from the binding? Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming they bind pretty tight to make the breast almost flat. That you can't grow. This is something the clinic did for her? Well, this is what they recommend. Again, keep in mind, this is the World's Professional Association for Transgender Health. Their recommendation for your 13 to 15-year-old daughter is go bind your breast up to the point where you deform your rib cage. That's medical professionalism right there. Why are they putting like what they call mental health above physical health? Which this isn't physical health, and it's going to cause them to actually have mental health issues more so in life. Because it's demonic. They hate God's creation. I can't think of another reason. It's demonic. It's demonic to more so because they're convincing young teens. What? Young teens? This is the age where there's most confusion and peer pressure. They're taking advantage of this age They know kids are like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, of course, taking advantage of it. But maybe on a going down out of left field topic here, I think it does have a longer play here, which is legalizing pedophilia. Yeah. Because, again, as we've talked about, you can't tell us that a 13-year-old girl can tell you that she knows that she's a boy in a girl's body and be allowed to go and have her body mutilated by medical professionals and then out of the other side of your mouth, say, well, she's not old enough to decide if she wants to have sex with a grown man. Exactly. Of course she can. Right. So they're just trying to, and I don't know if that's the end goal, but that's on the road that we're heading but on. If so. They're convincing these kids that this is the right choice, that whatever you desire is truth and will, you know, whatever it's money in their pocket, but there's just, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. It's no, just we'll touch on this because them that. it's demonic. Well, and they'll convince them about, you know, going ahead with a relationship with an older person. 
Well, because most of the people that run these global organizations what would they call that? are pedophiles. Well, this is gender affirming. What would that be called? Something else affirming. Well, It'd be affirming. I listened to a podcast earlier this week where somebody, the guy's wife is in the medical field or in the clinical field, you know, clinical psychology field. And she said that in recent, you know, conferences and stuff that they're going to, this idea of minor attracted persons being accepted in general society is being pushed right now. So in the next year, two Could years. Could you imagine this being legal? It's going and to And then that's when everybody's going to want to take their kids out of school. No, more so. <laughs> no, they I won't. don't know what it's going to take. Like, can you imagine? It's take a move of God. Your elementary child and their teacher wants a, a relationship with their student. And that you're probably not going to have, have a say. You're gonna, it's going to be child abuse to convince your child. Well, I did oh, want to make one so point here on crazy even her think. talking about being sexually molested, because I thought that was a point I don't want to miss in the sort of craziness of what's all in this article. But, you know, she talks about being molested by a 15-year-old boy at school. And I just wanted to highlight, you know, why does a 15-year-old boy molest a young girl? And I think hmm. the point not to be missed here is that it's inevitable that these are the results you get in a sex obsessed culture that we live in. Cause you know, everywhere from, I imagine this 15 year old kid, but we see it everywhere, right? The music they listen to, the shows they watch, the books they read are pornographic. And this isn't even including just the general amounts of porn that they're seeing from very young ages. We talked before, you know, the kids are starting to see porn for the first time at age 11 in this country. So um, by 15, he's probably been well engrossed in the porn or pornography at the really explicit end, not to mention just the music, movies, shows, books, magazines. That's more on the, you know, soft core, if you will, variety, but inundated with porn, right? So that's the lifestyle that our young children, if you're just letting them grow up in the world, that's what they're growing up into. But if you go from the other side, right, and you try to preach purity, modesty, abstinence, marriage, sexual immorality is a sin. Oh, no. Like now you're a bigot, right? You're a prude. You're judgmental. Even amongst the religious, nobody wants to hear from you. You can't talk about abstinence. It doesn't work. It's proven it doesn't work. Proven by who? I'd love to know. How is something that works 100% of the time proven to not work? bizarre well it's because people don't practice self-control abstinence is possible and if they would just look that up how like it's just self-control it's not going places being around people being you know just putting yourself in the situations right basically I mean, all it is why is that so works. hard it just you have to preach the rest of it with abstinence which they don't want to do right so if you preach that model the purity or the purity modesty abstinence model you're a bigot judgmental but you know if you sit down on a sunday night and watch game of thrones with your kids with all the nudity and pornography you're just having some good old family fun right you're a good parent then connecting with your children and this is what the world has to offer and this is why i don't want it to be missed you know fill your kids head so full of sexually immoral garbage that they seek gratification anywhere they can um, even if they have to take it. And then once they take it and your sexually assaulted daughter hates herself, hates her body um, after the fact of this sexual assault, 
Well, just convince her to go mutilate herself. After all, that's what the medical professionals have told you to do, right? Boy, what a wonderful progressive world we've created here. Doesn't it sound more like a burlesque house in hell than some utopia on earth? This is the world we're leaving for our kids. It's insane. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot more to this than just the gender dysphoria and the gender insanity that they're pumping in these little kids. It's all of it. This sexually impure country that we live in is driving us insane. And, you know, there's a lot of studies out, you know, about children that were sexually abused or molested that go way off the deep end into drugs and alcohol and eating disorders, gender dysphoria and stuff like that. It's all a part of it, but we don't want to tackle any of it. We just want to be this completely immoral, you know, gutter society and think somehow we're going to create a utopia out of it. It's I know. the most bizarre thing, but yeah. Um, I can't find it here. There's another part in this article um, where Chloe Cole, um, she says her story documents, or the article says her story documents how she was introduced to gender ideology um, online at 11 years old, which led to her self-identification as a transgender boy at 12. Cole was prescribed puberty blockers and testosterone at 13 and received a double mastectomy surgery to remove her breasts at 15, all at the behest of gender-affirming medical professionals who, she says, emotionally blackmailed her parents into giving her consent, or into giving their consent. Mm -hmm. And, like, this is your scientific or scientific medical industry right here right? That we're supposed to be all in awe of that. They're all these smart medical professionals, you know, everything from COVID fascism that we've had the last two and a half years, gender mutilation on your children. These people, <laughs> it's just, it made me think we talked a while ago, there was a bill that two congressmen put up where they were trying to write that you could go back and sue doctors mm -hmm. up to 30 years after providing this gender um, transition procedure if you had regrets on it. And my, do I wish, I wish this young lady could take these doctors to court and sue she them can't. for everything. Oh, she's 18 now, right? Yeah, I wish she so could she just take now. them for everything. I hope. I hope that that bill, I'm going to, I think Tom Cotton was one of the, is he a senator or congressman? I don't know. Email Tom Cotton and the rest of these worthless senators and pray that they pass this legislation. I know. So these disgusting people, these gender-affirming medical stop. profession professionals. Yeah. What oh, else is going to like make that? They need to be afraid of being, yeah, because they know it's true. They know that if they could be sued over it, they wouldn't do it at all because they know that they grow up and they regret it. They know they're abusing these kids physically and mentally. They absolutely know it. Right, because this They're is wicked. like the one area we allow kids to have a say over adults, their parents. You know, kids can't even drive till they're 16. Oh, but you want to be a boy at 12? Well, who are we to tell you no? Let's just cut those healthy breasts off. Let's cut your balls like your off. Your brain isn't even done developing yet. It's insane. And, you know, these doctors, these scientists, we want to call them medical professionals. 
might as well just call them butchers um, at the mm-hmm. end of the day. These people are far more Joseph Mengele's than Patch Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're horrifying. They're horrifying. They're monsters. Um, but again, why wouldn't they be, right? Because if you're a doctor or a scientist without a belief in God or a biblical worldview, then people are just lab rats. And the ends always justify the means. And, you know, you might wish even as horrific as this is, that there was some ultimate higher goal here. But it isn't. (laughs) It's demonic. And it's just for power and money. Um, And that's maybe the saddest part about it. And I got this video here. You guys may have heard this from uh, Matt Walsh reported on this from Vanderbilt University. Uh, I'm just going to play a bit of this, basically just highlighting to the fact that now there's no moral high ground here. It's just straight cash. That's what they're looking for. Starting in January 1st of 2017, according to the Affordable Care Act, insurance carriers are mandated to cover medical expenses for trans folks. some of our BUMC financial folks in, 20, in August of 20, I'm sorry, October of 2016, sorry, a couple of years ago, put down some costs of how much money we think each patient would bring in. And this is only including top surgery. This isn't including any bottom surgery. And um, it's a lot of money. These surgeries make a lot of money. Um, so female to male chest reconstruction can bring in $40,000. Uh, a patient just on routine hormone treatment, who I'm only seeing a few times a year, can bring in several thousand dollars because that requires a lot of visits and labs. It actually makes money for the hospital. Now, these I got from the internet, um, but it's from uh, the Philadelphia Center for Transgender Surgery, which has um, does a lot of um, surgery for patients. And I just want to give you an idea of how much these bottom surgeries are making. And this is, I think this has to be an underestimate. Uh, this is for a vaginoplasty. They're saying they're quoting roughly around $20,000 for a vaginoplasty, but that doesn't include your hospital stay, that doesn't include your post-op visits, that doesn't include um, your anesthesia, your OR. So I would think that this has to be a gross underestimate. I think that's just like the surgeon's uh, piece of it, which anybody who's ever been in a hospital knows that that's like 10% of it. Uh, And then the female to male bottom surgeries, these are huge money makers. Again, I think this has to be an underestimate that they're quoting around $20,000 for a phalloplasty. There's been different things that I've read that said it could be up to $100,000. Um, Dr. Winokur, who's our surgeon, says that there's entire clinics where the entire clinic is supported just by their phalloplasties, and that is like a fraction of the surgeries that they're doing. These surgeries are labor intensive, they require a lot of follow-ups, they require a lot of OR time, and they make money. They make money for the hospital. Yeah, so it's money. That's all they were talking about was money. Cutting the breast and the balls off of your healthy children makes them money, and it's just that simple. Is it and mostly children, most of their patients? No. I mean, they're probably mostly adults. But again, all these people have been saying, ah, oh, we don't do this sort of stuff on minors. But then all these you know, the Matt Walsh's, this girl, they keep coming out with stories that, no, they'll they'll do it on minors. They have no problem with that. I bet they're going to start doing this stuff to just newborn babies. If somebody wants a boy and it's born a girl, they'll do the surgery as soon as possible. Well, it's- if you watch that Matt Walsh documentary, What is a Woman? Those psychotic people in there talk about, well, your children know when they're toddlers. 
if they're a boy or a girl. Well, if they already know by then, why not do the surgery? What's to stop you? They want it to. Gosh, it's horrible. Yeah. So at the end of the day, they're not passionate do-gooders. They're greedy sinners. It's pretty much just that simple. And the thing is, we need to start treating them that way. Instead of medical professionals, now nah, they're butchers. These people at Vanderbilt are butchers. And they're doing it just for money. And it's pathetic. Um, but this article here from Chloe, there's one last thing I wanted to highlight here. Um, she says, uh, Cole reveals that unmonitored internet access and exposure to LGBTQ content on Instagram at 11 years old introduced her to gender ideology. I saw the unbelievable amount of praise and attention they got online and subconsciously I yearned to have a piece of it, said Cole. With every milestone in my medical transition, I was given more and more attention and celebration. It was the ultimate high. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Because haven't we been told that social contagion wasn't the reason for the rapid growth in gender confusion that's been going on in this country? Yeah. That's odd. I wonder if Chloe just, she didn't get the message. She was the one kid who didn't get the message that... It's not social contagion. Kids are just born this way. Yep. But we talked about this long ago, and we're going to repost the video. Uh, I think we put it on here a couple times, but it's called Science. Um, let me see. Science Transgender. Science, the Transgender Phenomenon in the Young by Abigail Schreier. And she makes mm -hmm. this point. A year ago, she made this point that it's social media. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the reason for the rapid growth and we just yeah. in this article she highlights that it's almost 100 percent growth in the last five years i know 150,000 to 300,000 minors that are claiming transgenderism well where did that come from what are minors doing that what has changed what's the difference it's social media it's social media and chloe yeah. is a she's telling you exactly how it happened um, but we're going to instead, I can't wait for all these doctors to get sued. I hope it can happen. I hope it doesn't just stop at suing, give them a chance to repent of their sins and let them go meet their maker. Um, perfectly comfortable with that. Um, cause here, and this was a verse that just popped up to me and you can tell me if it's off base here, but Matthew chapter 18, verse five and six reads, Whoever receives one such, such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So if you're one of these parents or medical professionals, if you will, that leads or allows your child to go down this path, you know, even if it's, you know, again, in tandem with medical professionals, or you allow your kids to take part in these worldly, sinful pleasures, are you guilty of causing them to sin? Mm. I definitely think, I'm not trying to accuse anyone of anything. And obviously, there might be people listening whose kids have been involved in this. And we pray for you. I mean, we sound kind of harsh on this, because I think it's a serious topic that deserves harsh rebuke. Um, but we pray for those people, but it's something worth considering if we're allowing our kids to be completely engrossed in the world. Um, are we, uh, 
as Jesus says, um, causing them to sin. I think we are. I was re- reading it, and I think it's like, because the disciples were telling, they were trying to shoo the children away, right? Is that what was going on? Uh, I don't know maybe. if that's what was happening. No, um, he was asking who's the greatest in the kingdom. And it's actually a pretty interesting <laughs> section of scripture because they want to know who's the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus just stiff arms the question. It's like, I'm the greatest. Anywho, woe to you if you bring temptation. Yeah, because if you cause someone, a child to sin, or I mean, anybody to sin, you're turning them from Jesus. You're turning them onto the path away from Jesus. That's serious. Yeah, I think it goes along with like, yeah, woe to you. I think um, it is like... To be the cause of temptation or to be the cause of someone turning away, putting them on the path away from Jesus. Because if you have your 11-year-old daughter and you just... You buy her a cell phone, you buy her an iPad and a laptop, and you allow her to set up Instagram accounts, TikTok accounts, Facebook, have unfettered Mm. access to the internet and all these sorts. You're essentially giving her access to sin. You're Mm -hmm. not protecting her. You're not shielding her there. And then if you take her to these medical professionals, and yeah, of course they're blackmailing you. They just told you they're getting about $200,000 per bottom surgery. How much did they say? Well, she said it's $20,000, but that's just a surgeon's cost. And we know that's only about 10% of the total cost. So of course they're blackmailing you. There's 200 grand per kid. And that's not even counting follow-up treatments and And medications. And one surgery alone covers all of the the bills or whatever for the hospital to run. Right. But even still, regardless, they're greedy sinners. We've covered that. But as you as a parent and stuff are allowing or even supporting your kid to walk down this path, it's hard to not see that you're causing them to sin in a way or allowing them and giving them access to sin where we need to be protecting our kids. And again, this all kind of goes back to um, why you need to have these discussions with your kids. I would encourage you to sit down and listen to this Abigail Schreier um, talk and discuss it with your kids. Hey, this is why you can't have Instagram. This is why you can't be on TikTok. It's dangerous. You're not being punished by not being on it. I love you. I care for your soul. And that's why you can't be on it. Like, again, we're in a spiritual war, spiritual famine, and kids have to grow up fast. And if we're not telling them this stuff, their friends, their teachers, these medical professionals are going to be telling them there's these great support groups on Twitter, TikTok, all these little gay pride websites that they can go to to find support. And we're just letting them go, causing them to sin. And Jesus gives a pretty harsh rebuke. It'd be better if you were dead than to allow your kids to just walk this path down to hell. Um, Yeah. Because she makes the point in there that one of the blackmail tactics that they use a lot, and I'm sure we've heard it, right, is, you know, would you rather have a dead son or a... a live a gay, daughter. A live daughter kind of a thing. And everyone goes, oh, of course. But, you know, if you read scripture, God doesn't necessarily take death to be that serious. I would rather have a dead son in heaven than a live daughter on her way to hell. Right. Um, yeah. Because I would rather wait to see them in heaven someday. Yeah, because you as the parent are putting your, ca- your kid on the narrow path away from Christ by... Well, the wide your- path. I mean, the why, that's what I meant. Um, yeah, if you care for their soul, 
you'll you'll not give in to that argument and you will you would rather them die at least um your conscience would be uh would be clean if they did die because you you didn't um yeah you didn't give in because either way like even the statistics those who go through with the surgery are the ones actually who have more mental health issues right what did she say in uh what is a woman or yeah what is a woman that male to the female that transition that was saying how dangerous it was she was saying seven to eight years post-surgery is like the number one suicide rate you know like the time group frame in the nation by far so it's not healing them it's not saving them it's causing them worlds of problems but and again we haven't experienced this god have mercy on you if you have we feel sorry for you um but this is just our thoughts that because this is a blackmail technique. Well, do you want your son or daughter to kill themselves? Well, you better get them this transgender surgery. Why? So that you can pay this hospital 200 grand. And then in seven years, your kid can try to kill themselves anyways. Do you pay $200,000? What a win-win, you know, for Satan, right? Man. So again, protect your kids. And, you know, there's a lot more that we're, uh, going to talk about as far as the wicked evil um, that we call transgenderism and especially in regards to these gender affirmation lunatics but we can't fit it all in here um, so we're probably going to touch on this topic again next week especially um, with what matt walsh has exposed with vanderbilt um, but we want to make time to get to our bible topic today so um, do you have any last thoughts here that you want to touch on before we uh, roll into the Bible topic. No, nope, let's get on. Let's yeah. Big takeaway. It's just a moneymaker from greedy sinners. That's about as far the as it goes. Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And yep. who would have thought of this? I know. It's my last thought. <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay. For our Bible topic. Um, so we are on point three on our road to salvation discussions here. So far, we've discussed Romans 3.23, and that's point one, which is basically, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then last week, we talked about point two, and uh, that is from Romans 6.23, which says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that brings us now today through point number three. You can see it on the board behind us if you're watching. But that is Romans 5, 8, which says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, this free gift was given um, to us out of love from the Father. You know, we did nothing to deserve it. And again, he knew uh, who uh, he would be, or he knew who we would be before he even laid the foundations of the earth. He right. knew we'd be sinners. Yeah, he knew that before he created us. He he knew we would sin against him. And he still determined before he created us that he would die for us. He purposed before time. Yeah, that he would demonstrate his mercy. That's what he wanted to do, to re- reveal, reveal himself in that way. And if we had never been born into sin, there's no opportunity to demonstrate mercy, right? 
Yeah, and that's the part of, you know, I guess the Christian faith that unbelievers hate. You know, how could yeah. God allow evil in the world? And how could God, you know, kill these people in the Old Testament? Well, how else would we know about his justice, his mercy, his love, exactly. his holiness, if we didn't experience the opposite? So mm, he's wise in everything he does. Do you want to read? So Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. Do you want to read that, honey? Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Yeah, and it's that ending part there. Mm -hmm. um, God's love for us was established before the ages. His plan of redemption was from before the ages. Mm. Um, so <laughs> believe and accept the free gift of salvation. That's the punchline here. But there's no other way, right? This plan was set into motion before the ages began. So mm. you trying to work and earn it yourself makes the cross, the cross, death, or the cross and Christ's death uh, upon it worthless is what that does. And again, mm. You're trying to buck the path that God laid out before the world began. Like you could think of a better way. Yeah, like, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you'll hear about this as God's plan B. Um, you know, that this was somehow plan B for God after Adam's sin. Adam ruined plan A, which was perfect harmony with God. Uh, I guess we're going to have to use plan B. Well, again, that goes against what we just read in 2 mm -hmm. Timothy. Christ was given to us before the ages began. So this was the plan. It was the only plan. And it's always been the only plan. So um, mm -hmm. up to this point so far, again, this is point three. We've learned that point number one, you, me, we're all sinners, right? All of us. Sinners born into sin can't help but to sin. It's all we do is <laughs> sin, right? Um, point number two, the wages of that sin, what that sin gets us is death. So you, me, everybody on earth, we deserve death and not just physical death, but eternal death for our sins. That's what that sin has bought us. So then point three here is Christ paid the price for our sin debt. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. So, um, uh, Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 6, I think, highlights this. And it's maybe one of the most beautiful sections of Scripture in all of the Bible. It's a prophecy about Jesus. And do you want to read that, honey? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. Yeah, isn't that that Jesus just went and died on a cross for us, but that he bore our sins. And I have a hard time grasping like what that really what that means, like it's, 
like, I just don't understand it, like how he bore our sins, but it's like God laid our sins on him or. No, it's certainly difficult to grasp the actual, you know, how did that work? Right. Right. Um, but the beauty is you don't need to know, <laughs> or, you know, you don't have to understand what was done. I can how understand or why it was done. that they're paid for, but right. him that he bore our sins is the harder part to grasp. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, it is complicated and there's probably someone smarter than me um, that can explain it. But I think, you know, how God laid sin on Christ um, for all those that would come to him um, throughout all the generations, again, isn't something that you need to know um, to call on Christ, right? You don't have to know how God did it to call on Christ. You just need to know that he did it. I think, you know, and again, mm -hmm. for us here today, that's the important part. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 through 14, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all, uh, for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You know, so again, I'm sure someone smarter than me can explain how the, you know, the great imputation of our sins onto Christ and his righteousness onto us happened. But we don't need to know that to believe that it was done. You know, knowing how it was done, that's a nicety. Knowing that it was done is a necessity. You know, because again, you have to know that it was done and who it was done by so that you can call on him properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, we have evidence that it, that it is done in us, the evidence of the Holy Spirit in us and the fact that we hate sin now and love righteousness. So it's not just believing, but we also have evidence that it's true in our own lives. You know, we don't have to just say, I believe it. And then there's no evidence that he's backing it up by working in us, you know? Yeah. So don't tune out that consciousness that, you know, well, we had one of the guys at the jail talk about, you know, this guy gave his long testimony about how he thinks, you know, his sinfulness and the lifestyle and stuff led to a lot of, you know, death and heartache and stuff in his own life. It was really, <laughs> really bad what he was talking about. And one of the other guys was like, listen, brother, just don't let that guilt, you know, weigh you down. And, and you know, fortunately, John the, or Scott, the guy that I go with was like, hold on. <laughs> He's like, don't disparage guilt. He's like, guilt is what leads us, you know, to seek repentance, to seek God. Mm -hmm. And, right. you know, in the beauty of the way God made us, you know, and we can forgive and we're called to forgive, but we don't forget. We don't forget the sins we've committed. And that's a beautiful thing. We don't want to forget what we did wrong. Because we want to be worshiping Christ for what he forgave us yes. for. Um, so again, you don't want to beat yourself up and never get out of bed in the morning. But you don't want to pretend like, oh, I've lived a perfect life because of Jesus. I've never done anything. No, you've done things wrong. You've ruined lives. These doctors pray that they come to repentance, but they'll look in the mirror and think, my goodness, what have I done to these children? Thank you, Lord, that you would yeah. save a sinner like me. Um, 
So we don't want the guilt to go away. We just want it to drive us to the right person. And that's mm -hmm. the Christ. You know, you don't want it to drive you to a bottle or to drugs or to something else, right? You want it to drive you to Christ and well, knowing. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just saying, knowing that he's the only one who can forgive you of those sins. You know, just say the scripture, he who's been forgiven much loves much. And as, as we remember how sinful we were, and I, I've said this before, like, I am more ashamed now looking back on my life, the stupid things I've done, even as a teenager, you know, just before I was even saved. And I have more sorrow over it today than maybe I would have a couple of years ago thinking about it. It's like, so it causes me to just love God more that he's forgiven my foolishness. And, and I know we've brought this up before, like, as we go on, and we're closer to the Lord and we look back on our sin and it is, it's, it's not shame. We're ashamed that we lived that way. We're not like ashamed standing before God now, but we're just godly sorrow still that we lived that way, that we sinned against God that way. And I think that is the right posture to be years ahead. Still looking back on sin, it should, we should look on that and say, that was so shameful. And thank you, God, that you don't look at me that way now that I'm forgiven. Yeah. And really remembering how that, you know, looking back and how sinful, shameful, all that stuff should hopefully help you not fall back into those old trends and those old sinful lifestyles because you're grateful for what you've been forgiven out of. Yeah. And you're remembering how awful it, you know, I mean, anybody that's given into sin by and large knows that that joy is very fleeting. You know, yeah. you do the drugs and then you come down and you have the hangover, right? And you realize, why did I do that again? How stupid. So um, that's point number three. We don't want to lose sight of that point. Um, so again, that's Romans chapter five, verse eight. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we'll end with mm -hmm. uh, our quote from Jonathan Edwards, where he said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. So again, don't run from your sinful past. Give it to Christ, the only one that can take those sins away. So do you have any last thoughts on anything that we talked about today? A lot of rough news stories to talk about, but the transgenderism thing makes my blood boil. Um, I certainly fumble over my words a lot, but bite my tongue a lot when talking about these. I hope we have a news article that comes up with a doctor coming out and apologizing doing all the surgeries on those children. Like, I really do pray that they and they exist. have their eyes open. They do exist. You know, we watched a uh, abortion documentary on um, the Daily Wire, I think. And they had a doctor on there who performed, you know, 700 abortions or whatever. And That's after true. like his 700th one, for whatever reason, the lights came on and he realized what he was doing. Mm. And he stopped immediately, you know, that day. and. Uh, so people do have their eyes open mm -hmm. and we pray that these people would have their eyes open and, you know, feel that guilt. We don't want them to avoid the guilt. Let the guilt break them, mm -hmm. you know, to the point where they have nothing left to do, but turn to Christ. That's what we want from them. So our sermon recommendation today is just going to be that Abigail Schreier, the science transgender phenomenon in the young and again, I would encourage you, I mean, listen to it, you know, judge for yourself. You have your own family and your own, um, you know, things that you deem acceptable. 
but I would consider talking to your kids about it, listening to it with them and let them ask you uh, the tough questions. Because again, if you're not going to be talking to them about this, the world is going to be talking to them about it. And the world mm -hmm. is going to be feeding them this gender affirmation, um, gender identity nonsense that's just going to be clouding their judgment. Yep. And they're already telling them that parents just don't understand. Religious people are old, you know, fuddy-duddies, right, that just can't get with the times. And you're going to be basically arguing against your own children. So I just encourage you, you know, consider it in prayer. And, you know, we're going to be talking to our kids about this stuff. We already have. And uh, it's a shame that you have to talk to kids about this sort of stuff, but it's what they're going to be experiencing. So you just might as well get out in front of it, I think. Mm -hmm. So, yep. But otherwise, we will be back on Monday with our daily devotionals and coming back next week with point four on our road to salvation and probably talking a little bit more about um, sort of this Vanderbilt um, transgender sort of uh, exposing of Vanderbilt and the horror show that that university hospital is. Um, so we'll see what comes up between now and then. But that's all we got for today. God bless.